So as you know, we're busy doing our series, When You Pray, and we're talking about prayer. Now, the word pray, we're also using as a bit of an acronym to, that stands for something to help us grow in perhaps a little bit of a prayer process if we may need it. So I want to test your knowledge this morning and uh, want to hear how many of you can remember what the P stands for? Are you sure? Pause. Okay, good, great. The P is for pause. So when, oh, hello, I'll get to you. So when we pray, we want to start by just stopping. Start by stopping. Isn't that great? And just take a pause and come, like Jesus said, go into a quiet place, a secret place, and be with the Lord. What does the word, what does the R stand for? Two things. Who can remember? Reflect and rejoice. We want to, I could also say, remember who God is. We want to reflect on Him. And then we want to enter into our prayer with a, with a sense of rejoicing and thankfulness for who He is and our relationship with Him. Then we come to the A. What does the A stand for? Ask. Ask. Yes. So much of our prayer is about asking, knocking, seeking. Trusting the Lord for his provision. And we are at this point in time really speaking about that mostly. But even at the end of today's message, we'll begin to talk a little bit about the why. What is the why? Yield. Yeah. Well done. Now it feels like I'm actually doing something worthwhile. You've, you've listened. So it's great. Well done. So when we pray, we pause, we reflect, we rejoice, we ask the Lord, and we healed. But today I want to take a little bit of a sort of a, a little bit of a sidetrack and talk about something that I think is very important that we talk about it in prayer because it is something that is very real and that probably, and I know, that we've all experienced. It is true that as we've been saying for the last weeks that prayer is so wonderful. Prayer changes things. Prayer is so beautiful in its effect that it have in our lives because prayer, as we've been saying, is firstly relational. But if we're honest with each other, which I think it's helpful to be, and if we can be honest in our conversations with each other, we will admit, each of us, that sometimes prayer can be hard. Not only to pray, but the experience we can have in prayer can be difficult. Because sometimes it feels like our prayers aren't answered. How many of you have ever struggled with what we would call unanswered prayers? where we've trusted the Lord for something. We've cried out. We've, we've done everything that we've been taught. But it just feels like certain prayers aren't answered. And then perhaps sometimes we're tempted to want to do, you know, learn about prayer because is there a trick? Is there, a, is there something I'm missing? And if I get that right, then more of my prayers will be answered. It is just a reality that sometimes prayer is difficult. Sometimes prayer can be frustrating. It can certainly lead to disappointment at times. And I think it would be inappropriate to not talk about those elements and those experiences that we have. What I want to do today is to try and give us some perspective, some understanding that will help us work through those difficulties of times of unanswered prayer or experiences of unanswered prayer. What I cannot do today is I cannot give us a neat answer that will be a cover-all, that will tie everything in a bow, and that we will have it solved by the time we leave here today. 
because I don't think that's possible. But we can gain understanding that'll help us work through times of these challenges and disappointments. Perhaps it's helpful to remember that even Jesus, in his prayer life, experienced things that weren't all that straightforward. That even Jesus, at times, had to wrestle in prayer. And may it possibly be even so that there's prayers that Jesus has prayed that haven't been answered till today. The first thing I want to remind you of in Jesus' prayer life is that there was an occasion where Jesus prayed for somebody for healing, for a blind man. And although the prayer was eventually answered, it wasn't a straightforward prayer. It wasn't a straightforward process. I think we, we get so used to reading about Jesus and the miracles that he did, and they were instant. He would pray or for sick people and they would be healed instantly. Sometimes he didn't even pray for people. They just got in his vicinity. They just touched him and they were healed. Sometimes he raised the dead. And so often it was instant. But in this occasion, as it's recorded for us in Mark 8, verse 24, an interesting development took place. It's the occasion where Jesus formed mud and put it on a blind man. And when he prayed for him, he said, okay, so how's it going? You know? And the, prayer man, the man said, he looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. So he received a partial healing from Jesus. Now, have you thought about that? How is that possible? That Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the, the, the cause of that man's eyes and sight in the first place, now prays for this man and he receives a partial healing. How is that possible? I don't know. I don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't explain to us for what reason. It just is. So that Jesus prays for him again. And then it says in, in the rest of that, once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. He prayed again, and then the man got healed. Not straightforward, is it? There are dynamics and elements here possibly that I don't, certainly don't understand because it's not told for us. But we just see that even in the life of Jesus, it wasn't straightforward. There's actually a prayer recorded for us in Scripture that hasn't been answered that Jesus prayed. In John 17... Jesus prays for all of us. He prays for every believer, every follower that is to come. And he prays this prayer. He prays it several times in John 17. But in verse 23 it says, so that they may be brought into complete unity. He prays for us, the church, that we would have complete unity. Has that prayer been fulfilled? Has that prayer been answered? Have we ever had a time where there was perfect, complete unity in the church. Now, it may be that we don't quite understand what he was meaning when he was praying this, but I think it's fair to say that this prayer still has an empty box next to it. It still needs to be fulfilled. That's interesting. I don't think it will never be fulfilled. It will obviously be fulfilled at a stage, but not straightforward, is it? But I think if we come to one of the great events of Jesus' life, we will see that even in a deep wrestle, he ended up in a space where his prayer wasn't quite answered the way that he wanted it to be answered. 
And that's the occasion that is recorded for us in Matthew 26, for instance, which we often refer to as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If we read verse 38 to 39 and then again 42, I've just sort of cut out a little bit of sections just to focus on what's important for us here today. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. We encounter Jesus here, coming close to the actual event of his crucifixion, and he's becoming very aware of what he's going to experience and have to endure. And this is causing within him a great level of stress. He is become, he's starting to feel the pain of what's coming his way. Now Jesus is different than you and I in this sense. That you and I fear what we don't know. Jesus was starting to feel the fear associated with what he knew was coming. He could feel the pain heading his way before it even happened. So that puts some extra difficulty into this situation. So he goes to the garden of Gethsemane with, with some of his disciples and he draws aside and he throws himself before his father and he begins to wrestle in prayer. The scripture says he was overwhelmed with sorrow. Something we can probably all of us relate to. Having at least felt some time in our life overwhelmed. And it says to the point of death. He was under such severe stress that his body reacted physically to the stress that he was feeling. And it, it, we, we are told that, his, that blood began to come out of his pores. Now, this is a medical condition called hematidrosis in which the capillaries around the sweat glands can rupture under extreme stress. It is so extreme that in the 20th century, there's only a handful of cases that was documented of people experiencing this. What he was experiencing was not just a thought. It consumed him. So you and I can imagine that stress and he comes to his father and he throws himself before his father and in prayer he puts a request before his father. Father, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. You and I can so associate with that cry, can't we? We've all at times come to God and said, this is too much for me. I, I don't understand why. I, I see no rhyme or reason in this. Can you remove this from me? Can you take this away from me? Now, I know the glib answer to this situation will be, yes, but Jesus' prayer was answered. The answer was just no. But I promise you, if you were in Jesus' shoes, that doesn't help you at all. What you're experiencing in a moment like that is an unanswered prayer. 
you are feeling like this prayer is not going the way that I think it should. And this is Jesus, the Son of God. In the prayer series that we're making use of, Pete Gregg draws comparison between the prayer that we've been focusing on for the series, the, 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 our Father, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and, the, and sort of a process that he follows, and then a process that he follows on this night. And he draws a comparison between how similar those two things are. So we'll put it on the screen for you. We, you will notice that on the left is the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, as we've been praying. On the right is the prayer that he's praying uh, now in the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I trust it's for those online. It's also on your screens for you. You'll see the first line, Our Father in heaven is mirrored on that night by Abba Father, my Father. The second line, Hallowed be your name, that, that re reflect rejoicing, that looking up, that, that recognizing the authority and, and the relationship with the one he's coming to. Everything is possible for you is mirrored within that, in a sense. He's lifting God up. He's, he's elevating who God is. Then you have this line where there's a deviation, where Jesus departs from the process that he established in Luke 11 or Matthew 6. In, in those ver, uh, scriptures and in those occasions, he said, your kingdom come. Here he prays, take this cup from me. Your kingdom come. Whatever will establish your rulership, Lord, that is what must be done. And here he says, take this cup from me. Then he carries on and we go back to the comparison your will be done, yet not what I will. On earth as it is in heaven, but what you will. So there's a loose comparison that we can draw here, except for that line where Jesus cries out and says, take this cup from me. I'm sure we've all come to the Lord in times of wrestling and prayer and where we've said, Lord, I wanna serve you, I wanna love you, I wanna do everything that brings glory to your name, but not that. That's too much. That's beyond me. That's too hard for me. Or sometimes it's the things we just don't mention in prayer. It's the things we skirt around. It's the things we ignore because we're so afraid. It's the wrestle of a parent, sometimes a young parent, that, that knows they have to dedicate their child to the Lord and say, Lord, this child belongs to you. But there's the fear in the heart that says, but Lord, I if something happens to this child, I, I don't know what will happen, how, how I will deal with it. Or whatever the situation may be, there are those things that we wrestle. And here Jesus is, very, is wrestling in a very real way. The shepherd is about to become the lamb that is slain. And he's wrestling. Now as I said earlier, what I cannot do today is give neat, neat answers that solve all of our rest, that solves all of our wrestlings in prayer. But what we can do is we can look at some of the elements and some of the practices, some of the things that we can do that can help us in times when we're wrestling in prayer. And we can draw from Jesus what he did in this situation as he was wrestling in prayer. There's certain things he did that helped him in that time. 
The first thing Jesus did as he was wrestling in prayer is he didn't do it alone. He involved others. He, he says to his friends, you need to come with me. As he went to the garden of Gethsemane, he didn't go alone. He went with others. He, he had people around him that could support him. They couldn't face the anguish on his behalf, but they could support him. Now, they ended up not doing such a great job of it because they were completely overwhelmed themselves. They didn't quite understand and realize what was going on. But Jesus still called on others to come and be with him as he prayed. I don't know about you, but isn't it so precious to have people in your life that there's times that you can just say, will you just pray for me? I'm wrestling. It's one of the great things that happens in community groups, small groups, where people you know, build a community of, of faith together. And so when they do go through these times of wrestling, they can be there for each other and say, look, I can't, you can't change my situation, but you can pray with me. You can stand with me so that I can pray as I wrestle with the Lord. Jesus involved others. The second thing Jesus did is he pushed into prayer. He didn't get to a place where he cried, my father, take this cup away from me. And then, did you notice after he prayed that prayer, he actually went back to his friends that were then asleep. So felt that disappointment. And then he goes back to the father and he says, but if it is not what you want, then let your will be done. He pushed in. He didn't withdraw. You see, the challenge we so often face is when our prayers aren't answered, we want to withdraw because it's painful to face that disappointment. It's questions that is asked. Sometimes what believers even do, if you're walking alongside a brother or a sister that's wrestling in prayer and their prayers doesn't get answered, you start feeling insecure and now you start putting distance between you and them because they're making you uncomfortable. Because you don't have, you've prayed, you don't have answers for them. The thing Jesus did is he didn't withdraw, he didn't give up, he pushed in. He pushed in. Because to Jesus, prayer was, remember, firstly relational. He wasn't just putting a request. He was engaging with the Father. He was talking with his Father. When I was a teenager, I didn't have a great skin in terms of acne. I had acne. And this bothered me a lot. Particularly because of, you know, self-confidence. And um, I wasn't a very confident young person as it was. And having braces and having, you know, acne really didn't help. And it became the focus of my prayer life for a number of years. Will you heal my skin? I must have prayed that prayer every day. I don't know how many times I came to the front in here, in this very building, and asked people to pray for me so that my skin will be healed, so that my skin will clear up. Every moment I had, I prayed, Lord, let you heal my skin. And it never got better until I was probably like, yeah, at your of your life already in, in the training center. I finally got some medicine, you know, that strong stuff, and it started helping. And then, you know, my skin got better, never got great. And, you know, as a, as a believer, you sort of move on. I grew a bit older, so I moved on. But for a long time in my life, this was like a little something unsettled. Why didn't you help me, Lord? It was so valuable and so important to me. Why didn't you do that? 
But I'm so thankful that by the grace of the Spirit and just being part of a community, I was able to continue to press into the Lord. And years later, you know, probably in somewhere closer to my 30s, I started realizing that during that time, as I was praying this prayer so fervently, so, you know, like feeling like this is life and death. This was the, so unkind how the Lord can't do this for me. I know he can. Why doesn't he want to? As I look back, I realized how much of my self-worth was interwoven into completely the wrong things. And actually, all I wanted is a good skin so that I could attract girls. (laughs) Be more attractive. Just, that's the plain honest truth. And in a strange way, began to realize that something of the Lord's grace was in the fact that he didn't answer that prayer. There was some development, some growing that I was doing, and even some of his protection over my life during that time. Now, I think if I look back in honesty, I would still have preferred a third of a heel, but that's my humanity. There's something in me that is now can be settled, but I would have never gotten to that place if I just withdrew from that, gave up on that, but didn't push through. We need to push through. During COVID, it became one of the things that I realized. And when we faced so many, so many people you know, encountering such sadness and trauma, and funerals and death was all around. And, and so often we, we had people come and, and, and you felt like as a pastor, you, know, you, know, like you want to help them through this. And, and then inevitably comes a why question. Why did this happen? What, what happened here? And you have no answer. But I found a place in my own heart where I started settling and I I realized this for myself in that space, trying to help others and minister to others. What I could say, for instance, was this to say, one of the things was to say, you know, it's better to have a question in your heart, even if it's unanswered, but you have somebody to ask the question to, than to end up with an unanswered question and nobody to ask it. And sometimes as believers, we walk through difficulties, but we keep on asking the question because we've got somebody to ask it to. And we keep engaging with the Lord. You know what he sometimes does in times where he does not answer our prayers? It's actually him inviting us closer. He's saying, come nearer. Come nearer, keep seeking. That's why Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Pray and keep on praying. Knock uh, knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Because in that space, the Lord is drawing us nearer to him. Sometimes I'm asking the Lord for something and I'm hearing nothing. It's not because he's not speaking. It's just I'm not near enough to hear his whisper. And he keeps on whispering. Have you ever done that with people? You want them to get close, you whisper? Because inevitably they're going to start coming nearer and nearer and nearer because they want to hear what you're saying. And the Lord whispers. And he says, come near. Because remember, prayer is firstly relational. And he's drawing us near. That's why we push into prayer. So when Jesus was asking this great request, which meant a lot, he, this, this was a really life or death. He still could do it within the context of saying, but more important than my prayer being answered is my relationship with you. Is you. Your will, 
So we involve others. We push into prayer. We affirm God's power. Jesus affirmed that God can do this. And I want to encourage you, when you're wrestling in prayer, continue in your own heart and mind to affirm who God is and what he is able to do. Continue to say, but he is a good God. He is a faithful God. He is the God that will come through for me. Affirm that and also affirm that he is able, he is powerful, that his arm is not too short, that he can answer this prayer. Because if we get to the place where we stop believing he can and he wants to, then we've got nowhere to go. We keep pushing in by affirming. It is my experience that most Christians, people that love Jesus and are followers of Christ and take their faith seriously, don't struggle so much with the can he do it, they struggle more with does he want to do it. And that's where we affirm his character, who he is. He's my father. He's my father. And then the the last thing that we can learn from Jesus in this wrestling is to be honest. Be honest. He poured out his heart before his father. He said, let this cup pass me by. He expressed his need. And God wants us to express our needs before him. Not because he doesn't know, but because it's relational. When I tell him what I feel I need, it's drawing him into that place. I express myself in honesty. And this is so important for us to remember that because our prayer life is about, de- it's about relationship with God, by definition, things aren't going to work out the way that we think they should because we don't know. There's so much going on that's beyond our understanding. That's beyond what we can see. It took me years to understand the Lord's grace in my prayer request to heal my skin. We just don't have enough understanding. We keep going. We keep moving forward. And it's important in times of wrestling to to remember that we cannot confuse God's silence with God's absence. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. He's close. And like I say, he's drawing you closer. Deeper into him. Deeper into the things that he wants for you. So I know that does not answer everything neatly. But I hope that helps us to just see how Jesus processed some of the struggle and wrestle he was having in prayer. I want to also highlight for you from As Pete Gregg puts it in his book, the material we're using in the prayer course, there are factors that come to play when prayers aren't answered. And again, these factors, they they don't provide neat answers for everything. They don't solve every question. And I don't think they intended to, but they're worth remembering. And there are three factors that I want us to remember when we're wrestling in prayer and trying to get our prayers answered and feeling like prayers aren't being answered. These, These are the three factors, God's world, God's war and God's will. God's world, God's war, and God's will. God created this world to function according to certain natural laws and in a natural order. 
When God created, there was a point where he stopped his creation and he said, it is good. And from that point on, he allowed the natural law that he created to keep the order and dictate how life works. Sometimes we ask God for things and it just does not go with the natural order of things. How many of you remember the story in uh, Acts 8, which we sometimes refer to as Philip's transport? There was this occasion recorded in Acts 8 where Philip was brought by God and asked by God, sent by God, to go and share with the Ethiopian eunuch that was on the road from Jerusalem back to Gaza going south. And so Philip went onto the road and found this eunuch as he was reading the scripture and started engaging with the eunuch and they were having a great conversation which led to the conversion of this eunuch and the eunuch eventually got baptized as they got to Gaza. And as they got there, the scripture says Philip was baptizing him, but immediately as his baptism ends, he gets up out of the water, Philip disappears. He's gone. In like this, beam me up, Scotty. I don't know if particles went and he faded, but the scripture said he was gone. And he reappeared in a town by the name of Azota, which is about just a little bit more than 30 kilometers north. He reappeared to do what God wanted him to do there. Now, when I was a teenager, I had to walk to school about half an hour every day. And then I read about Philip's transport and I thought, man, this can make my life so much better. Because when I walked to school, not only was it long, but I had to walk through a, se- a section of, of felt, you know, un- unhoused area, where kivits were living. Do you know kivit? What is a kivit in English? Those birds. They'd attack you if you get close to their nests because they think you want to steal their eggs. So every day I had to walk to school, get sweaty when I got to school, and run away from the kivit. And I thought, Lord, there's a better way. Philip's transport. So I'm just gonna stay at home and pray. If it's your will that I go to school, you will transport me to school. How many of you people know that I had to get back to walking eventually? You see, God made things to work a certain way. And miracles are miracles because they are unusual, uncommon, rare occasions sometimes. If life is miracles, then there's no stability. There's no things that you, can, that you can say, well, it works like this. A miracle by definition is the exception that proves the rule. It's noticeable that God steps into his created order and bends the laws or quickens them or deals with them in a way that fulfills his purposes, but I can't expect that to happen every day, every time. Otherwise, we can pray for every glass of water and it can become a glass of wine. And I know some of you think that would be wonderful. It doesn't work that way. Because God created things to work according to a certain order. And sometimes I'm asking God things and he's going, no, that's not the way I made things. So if every day I eat fatty Takeaways. I'm going to enlarge my territory. I'm going to consume more space. And no matter if I pray that deeply faithful Christian prayer, I bind these calories in Jesus' name. 
How many of you know that if you eat like that, you are going to see it in your body? There's only one meal a year that that prayer has any effect of binding the calories. And you know when that meal is, Christmas lunch. Amen. We pray that prayer every year with faith. It's the natural law of things. There's certain ways that function, and that's how God made it. Now, God can change his law. So I remember I said to you, these factors don't answer everything, but they're worth remembering. The second one is God's war. We are in a war. We have an enemy that is there and frustrates our prayers and delays and obstructs the answering of our prayers. We see that from Daniel praying, and then the prayer took time, and he went, Lord, why am I praying? And he said, for 21 days, the angel have been fighting. Our prayers can sometimes be frustrated by the working of the enemy. Paul experienced this himself. Remember, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the, the, the assignment of, an, of a demon against him that he described as his thorn in the flesh. And three times he went to God and he said, please, will you take this suffering away from me? And the Lord said to him, no, my, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul had an enemy that he was contending with. Sometimes in our lives, we're fighting battles. This doesn't answer every question, but it's something worth remembering. Now, I do want to say, our prayer lives are not motivated by the devil. I don't spend my prayer life trying to figure out where the devil is. I'm not praying to look in bushes to find where, this, where Satan is. But I'm aware that he's around. My focus is on Jesus. I pray in Jesus. When the enemy is revealed and pops up, I quickly deal with that and I focus on Jesus. You know, some Christians, I think we all go through it as we become Christians and we immature as Christians, we, we see the devil everywhere. He's ugly, don't keep looking at him. Look at Jesus. The third one is God's will. Sometimes we're asking things of God and it's just not his will in that event. It's not what he had in mind. It's against his will. And that's where we journey with the Lord. And we allow him to show us his will. And sometimes it takes a long time. But again, because we're talking to God, we're not always going to understand. It's, if you want a God that you can understand everything and explain and have a neat answer for everything, then I don't know if the Christian God is your, is, is your option that you should pursue. Because he's God. And we are not. There's things that are bigger. Somebody's phoning me. They don't know me very well. <laughs> Want to sell me a warranty for my car or something on a Sunday morning. Our God is more. He's bigger. He's greater. He's not take a lot. You know, only thing that I care about in take a lot in my life is I want to go on the website or the app. I want to select what I need. I click and I say, and I pay, and they tell me how long it's going to take before they're going to deliver it, and I keep an eye on them. And if they deliver on time, I'm happy. I don't want to grow a relationship with them. I don't want to ever have to send them another email. I, that's all I want. God is not take a lot. He's saying, I want to know you, and I want you to know me. My answering of your prayers fits within the bigger thing of our relationship. 
That's not my function. It's not to drive around in little blue scooters and take care of everyone's needs. I'm your God. And sometimes my will will supersede what you think is right. Don't we love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? As we say in Afrikaans. That when the law and the edict was passed, that when the music plays, everybody must bow down before the golden statue that uh, Nebuchadnezzar made. And these, th- these guys refused. And so news got to the king and then he, and he got really angry because they refused. So he had them apprehended and he took them to the furnace. And the, and the scripture says he set the furnace seven times higher. He didn't have ESCOM problems. You know, so he could put that furnace like high, you know. I don't know if they checked the schedule. We went like, okay, uh, we can only burn people between uh, four and eight. Uh, you know, we don't have electricity. So, or the generator. Okay. So they throw them in the fire seven times higher. The poor gods got burnt. They just got close to the fire. So they, they're going to throw these guys into the fire. The king says, I'm going to burn you alive if you don't repent. How many of you remember what they said to the king? They said, king, we have a God in Israel. And we will ask him. And if he can, he will save us from this fire. That's our God. And then what did they add? But even if he does not, we will not bow down to your idol. Amen? And you know how the story goes. The king's looking. I don't know how he got it right. If they had like a long lens or something, he's looking. He's saying, did we put three people in the fire? Yes, king. Why are there four people in the fire? What's happening, people? I don't know about you, but as far as I know, people don't just appear in fires. What's going on? And by the way, those guys that we put in the fire, can you notice that they, they look happy? They're not even like, their arm hairs aren't even singeing. Their clothes aren't, what's going on, people? Look at the gods lying here, toasted. These oaks are all fine within the fire. What's going on? But that attitude, you see, sometimes faith moves mountains, but sometimes faithfulness is needed to outlast mountains. We sometimes speak to a mountain and it moves, but I don't know about you, but I've spoken to some mountains. There's some mountains I'm still speaking to, and they have not moved. But guess what? Paul said, when you've done all to stand, stand. I'm telling you, that mountain, if it doesn't move, it's going to find me still standing in front of it. And eventually that mountain will move and we will outlast the mountain. Siri said it earlier that we stand in faith. But even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. Faithfulness is the fullness of faith. It is the higher level of faith. It is the expression that we sometimes have to say, I have no faith for this situation, but I will be faithful because my God is faithful. And we stand in faithfulness. Worship team, you guys, please come and come and do what you do best. When we're wrestling in prayer, it is so good to end the way Jesus did when he prayed that prayer in Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. To relinquish, to yield. That's the why of our little acronym. To say, Lord, I, I have a real request and I bring this to you with all of my heart. I really am convinced that this is the right thing. 
But because you're God and I'm not, I do leave space to say, don't do what I want you to do. Do what you know is right. And I relinquish. I yield to him. Just two quotes. P.T. Forsyth said, we shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great refusals were sometimes the true answer to our truest prayer. God's great refusals is sometimes the best thing that we can have. And then I like this John Newton. Remember John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace, that slave trader that was radically saved by God. He wrote this one day. He said, some Christians are called to endure a disproportionate amount of suffering. Such Christians are a spectacle of grace in the church. Like flaming bushes consumed and, and causes us to ask, like Moses, why is this bush not burnt? The strength and stability of these believers can be explained only by the miracle of God's sustaining grace. The God who sustains Christians in unceasing pain is the same God with the same grace who sustains me in my smaller sufferings. We marvel at God's preserving grace and grow in our confidence in him as he governs our lives. I don't think it's necessary or right that any of us go, Ooh, well, you see, I am called by God to be the suffering Christian. And that's not the issue. But the thing is, as I've journeyed with believers, I've sometimes stood next to somebody and I've went, wow, how is it possible that you can remain faithful with this pain, this suffering that you're enduring? And they become a burning bush that draws me closer, that I lean in and I say, what's going on? Because their, their testimony, the purity of their faith that has gone through fire tells me there's something more we don't just serve a God that is our take a lot that just delivers bing bong we serve a God that is more than that and I remember that my Jesus died on a cross he endured far more than I will ever endure in my life because he is faithful my faith is not neatly tied up in a bow I hold together the tension I pray because prayer changes things I pray for every situation. When I get an opportunity to pray for somebody to be healed, I pray for people to be healed. Has every person I prayed for been healed? No. Has some that I've prayed for died? Yes. But I refuse to let go of the, of the God that is faithful. We will keep on praying. We will keep on asking. And we will leave space to say, Lord, not our will, but your will be done. Now, as I invite you to stand with me, won't you stand, please? Please. Both conceptually and experientially, you can struggle with what I've shared this morning. Because it doesn't answer everything, I know that. And I've not tried to do that, I told you that from the beginning. I would be lying to you if I, if I said to you, that there are neat answers for everything. This is the only neat answer I have. God is good. He loves me. And He is all-powerful. And I trust Him for His will to be done. I'm going to pray the best that I can and as hard as I can and according to my understanding. But I trust Him. I will trust Him today. I will trust Him tomorrow. And every prayer that I 
die with that has not been answered the way that I thought it should be or has not been answered, I trust that prayer into his hands. Amen. I don't know what you're going through. Perhaps you've had carried some unanswered prayers in your heart that has left you unsettled. I want to pray for you. Perhaps right now you are in a struggle and you're, and you're fighting for something and, and, and it just feels like God is not, He doesn't care. I want to pray for you. So if, if you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit, if, if, if something is speaking to you right now of what I've said and what this morning's been about, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hands and just as a sign of here I am. You know, sometimes just doing this is saying, Lord, I'm, I refuse to disconnect from you. Like a child that picks up his arms when he sees his father or his mother, he says, pick me up. Sometimes that's what this means. Just pick me up. Here I am. Lord, I thank you that you're our God. You're our father. You love us. You love every single person. And so I pray today, Lord, in Jesus' name, where there are unanswered prayers, that have been lingering, leaving some unsettled, I pray right now in Jesus' name, that where the why question has not been answered, can the where question be answered? Where are you? I am near to you. I am with you. Right now, let us sense your presence, that your grace is sufficient for us. Your grace is not apart from you, your grace is part of your presence, is part of you in our lives. Give us your grace in this moment. As we are fighting through some prayers, wrestles, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Just come and be present with us right now. Come and be present with us in Jesus' name. Come and be present with us. Perhaps there's been a little hardness that's developed in your heart, a callousness, an unresponsiveness, perhaps even an anger towards the Lord. Can you open up your arms and just say, here I am. I don't know what to do with this, but I trust you. Come, Father. Come, Father, by your Spirit right now. Come, Father, come by your Spirit. I want to invite you, if you need to come to the front this morning and just come and spend a bit of time here, the prayer team will be available to pray for you, but even if you just want to be on your own and just say, here I am, Father, but let somebody pray with you, stand in the gap for you as, as we end the service. Come to the front. Come to the front and just allow the Spirit of God to minister to you, to soften your heart, to bring you hope and peace. I'm going to end the service and, and release you just because of time. But we're going to continue on with a song and worship just now. And we do that now. We're trying to manage that we respect people's time, but also create space for us people to respond. And so if you can, just stay a bit and allow the Spirit of God to minister to you. But if you're going, may the Lord bless you. Please remember that the Year of Your Life booth's in the foyer and that you can connect with our young people there. Remember stars for smiles and if you want to collect your star, just come quietly and do that. You can do that. 
Please remember the Connect Lounge, where if you're interested in our community to find out more about us and consider to actually join this community, you can go into the foyer hall, which is on the left of the foyer area, and go and connect with Letitia and the team that'll be there. But I speak the grace of God over you. May the presence of your Father sustain you. May His grace be sufficient for you. In Jesus' name. Let's sing a song together. Thank you, guys. Thank you, ladies. But you are free to go if you want to. And as you, if you want to come forward, please do that. Make use of this opportunity. Thank you, Jesus.